Hey friend, are you struggling to find consistent paid speaking gigs? Do you want to know the exact six steps that you can take to find and book more paid speaking opportunities in 2024? Well, we want to make that easy for you. We've created a new free resource with the help of Dan Irvin, one of our highly successful speakers on our team. Dan has booked over $100,000 in paid speaking gigs in the last few years, and his six-step process is going to help you maximize your chances of getting booked and paid to speak in any industry. You're going to learn how to get started prospecting, master discovery calls, and proposal emails and so much more. All you got to do is go to thespeakerlab.com slash steps and we're going to send you this 18-page guide straight to your inbox. Again, that is thespeakerlab.com slash steps and you're going to get that free guide. Hey, thanks for listening. You're awesome. Hey, what's up, friends? Graham Baldwin here. Welcome back to the Speaker Lab podcast. So good to have you here with us today for episode 368. Got a really fun and slash funny show today as I'm joined by my friend and comedian, Mr. Mike Goodwin. Now, before taking the stage nine years ago, Mike was in the military, worked in higher education, served as a counselor, and eventually he started doing comedy on the side. And finally, a comedian who attended the same church told him he needed to get on stage and do this full reel and uh, really the, the rest is history. So Mike's going to talk about how he got his start and when public speaking became a, a bigger part of his career. And despite the success that Mike would eventually have as a comedian, he really struggled to, to find success within speaking opportunities uh, early in his career. Eventually, he found that niche through leadership and laughter, focused on his career as a comedian while seeking out opportunities to help him to grow as a speaker. Mike is hilarious, refreshingly funny, 100% honest and sharing his story to success. So listen, no matter where you are in your speaking journey, you're going to have a ton of of fun here uh, as we go through this journey with Mike. So let's get right to it. Here's my conversation on finding the fun in the speaking industry with Mike Goodwin. Enjoy. Now, Mike, you understand this, that that when someone is introducing you, now this is different in, the, in a comedy club, but when someone's introducing you as a speaker and they're already saying things like, oh, this guy's going to be hilarious. This is going to be the best speaker you've ever seen. This guy's going to make you die laughing. Like it already sets the bar way, like way too artificially high, right? So I'm trying to like back off from that. You're a comedian though. That's kind of like your, it's in your blood though. So you get a little bit of pressure riding on you. Unrealistically high. Like you gotta, you gotta knock a home run out of the park in the first pitch with somebody. Nope. No pressure. No pressure at all. <laughs> well, for uh, for people who aren't familiar with you, give us a, a snapshot of who you are and uh, what it is you do and how uh, speaking fit into the mix. Yeah. So I'm a refreshingly funny comedian by the name of Mike Goodwin. I live in Columbia, South Carolina. I'm both a comedian slash keynote speaker and I do corporate events, churches and clubs. I'm married. I have a wife. We just celebrated 21 years. I'm also a father. I have a 14-year-old daughter and a 11-year-old son. And I've been doing stand-up comedy full-time for the last nine years. What did you do pre-comedy? Pre-comedy, I did a number of things. So I was in the military right out of high school. Yeah. Then from there, I went to college. And then I found myself working at the University of South Carolina in student affairs. That was kind of my dream situation. I wanted to become a dean of students, work on a college campus for the rest of my life. But then I took a job at a private school, Episcopal school as the college counselor. So I worked there for about another eight years, but I did comedy on the side. And then I left there nine years ago to be a stand-up comedian. When, uh, at what point did you realize you were funny? 
Because this is one of the things that it's one thing for people who are going, uh, yeah, like my family says I'm funny or my spouse tolerates me or I have a friend who says that I'm funny. Um, but it's another thing to, like, can you do this professionally and, wow. and engage uh, uh, strangers for an extended period of time? So at what point did you start to think about, I think there might be something here. Like, I, th- I, think, I, could, I think I could do this. I knew I was funny in a professional sense when a comedian told me I need to get on stage and do stand up. So uh, there's a comedian by the name of Akin Tunde. He and I attended the same, uh, where well, we still do, uh, attend the same church. And we were working together in the media ministry. And he just let me kind of run ideas by him for about 30 days. Mm-hmm. You know, I would say, hey, man, what do you think about this? What do you think about that? Then finally, he said, hey, man, this is some really good stuff that you're telling me. Either I'm going to go and do it on stage and not pay you or you go on stage. So I pretty much got deboed onto stage. That's how I got started. Gotcha. And so, uh, so you, you, you do, I assume a couple sets here and there, maybe some, some open mic nights and are you quickly realizing like, yeah, there is something here. I want to do more of this. Or are you just going like, man, my buddy's crazy. Like that was a fun one and done type of experience. So I did a new year's Eve service at our church. It was like, if you were to record a comedy set for a movie, this is how you want to do it. I got a standing <laughs> ovation. I did like seven minutes. Yeah. Then I bombed for two years. So like I got in there and I think what was very valuable to, to me, he it was kind of like a comedy apprenticeship. So he, he just actively took me on the road with him yeah. for about two years, me and two other guys. And that was the most difficult part of doing stand-up is to get the amount of time to even know if you're funny. So right out of the gate, I was getting 15 to 20 minutes of time to work on material. So after about a year and a half, I was like, okay, I think I think I have something. But after that first night, it was similar to, uh, it, it answered a lot of questions for me because I had all this comedic energy separate from stage. So I would mm-hmm. meet people and I would just vomit comedy. Like I just was like a kid. You ever go to a kid's house and they just keep bringing out toys? You're like, oh, <laughs> oh, you like that toy? Okay. Oh, okay. All right, what else you got back there? That's how I would do with laugh. So I get you laughing. I'm like, oh, oh, you like that, huh? Oh, oh, oh wait till I show you my Spider-Man. So then I'm <laughs> running back into the toy chest. And before you know it, the whole living room's full of toys. And people are like, hey, man, this is really not appropriate. <laughs> you got a <laughs> lot of toys a, here, Mike. Yeah, we're in a business meeting. Or we're in a graduate school class. We don't need all this all this comedy. Now, at what point did you, because you mentioned like you, you it started primarily, you know, via church and then maybe doing some clubs here and there. You mentioned kind of introducing yourself that you also do some keynote speaking. So at what point did speaking kind of come into play? So I... I was deaf. I wouldn't say deafly afraid of speaking, but I had an experience with speaking that early in graduate school that led me to believe that, nah, I'm probably not a speaker. So what happened, we would have these uh, student leadership seminars. Yep. Yep. So at the time I'm in, you know, I'm, I'm a first year professional and I'm trying to create content for my students and I'm looking at the students and I'm seeing that they're having difficulty transitioning from college into the real world. You know, you yeah. would call their, you would call their phone numbers and their, at, this was the time they had answer machines. So yeah, way back. The answer machine would come on and it would just, it'd be like Jodeci and Jodeci would come on 
And then you listen to Jodeci for like 30 seconds. And then it was like, hey, what's up? This is Jamal. I'm sorry, but I'm unavailable to take your phone. It was like, hey, man, you're going to have companies and organizations calling your phone. You can't have that. Or then I'll ask for a student's email and it'll be like, Juicy Lips 45. And I'm like, no, no. So I created this whole presentation on those types of things, on how yeah. to be professional, handshakes, first impressions, dressing appropriately. And I did it. I did this presentation at like a Saturday morning student leadership conference and crushed it. Like yeah. I was funny. It was good information. I was engaging. And so there was a group of students there from like this other small school. They went back to the campus excited. They went to the Dean of Students. Hey, we saw this guy at this leadership conference. We need to have him on campus. He needs to come and speak to the students. Yeah. So I get a call from a Dean of Students like that Monday. And it was like, hey, my students returned. They were so excited about your presentation. Uh, could you come and be our Black History Month speaker? And I was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't talk about Black history. I was talking about professionalism. Yeah. And transitioning from college into the corporate world. And so I was just so honored and to take the to be called. So I, I said, yeah, I'll come do it. Grant, I went up there and bombed. <laughs> like, <laughs> if I was a terrorist uh, regime, <laughs> I bombed like Al-Qaeda. Like I was bombing. If, if you take all the bombs that have ever been bombed. That was you. I, 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 I had missiles coming out of the sky. I had put Claymore mines into the audience. I mean, it was, I was throwing grenades within the first five. So hours. at that point, are you, are you just like, all right, there's like, if this is what speaking is, I'm going to stick to comedy. I won't. I wasn't even in comedy yet. Like I wasn't even okay. I wasn't doing okay. anything. I was just a, I was just a professional in higher ed. Yeah. yeah. So I said, if this is what speaking is, I'm done. Like I'm out. Yeah. And you know, and, and at that time, higher ed is one of those uh, jobs that lend itself to speaking opportunities. You, you mm -hmm. know, you're often in front of students and, you know, I would see some of my peers doing events. And so I was curious, like, yeah, yeah, I think I have a message, something to share, but I, yeah. I didn't have a burning, passionate desire to talk about anything other than this professional development stuff. But I just thought that was for the students at this one Saturday. I, you know, I didn't think that was a thing that I could market and promote. So I just did that pre presentation and just set it to the side. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you you mentioned earlier that that you you do comedy, you do a little bit of keynote speaking. Do you consider yourself a comedian who happens to speak, or a speaker who happens to do comedy? How do you kind of think about the balance? Yeah, I'm a hybrid. Two? In my mind, I'm a I'm a comedian. I'm a that can speak because yeah. a lot of times in this in this genre, people want you to be one or the other. Like right, right. Like, we want you to be a comedian, or we, and I'm like, no, I can. I can do both. And I've, mm -hmm. I've been intentional. And so the way that I, the way that I made it to speaking was I was doing corporate events, you know, I'm doing these corporate luncheon luncheons. I was doing uh, new employee orientations. Mm -hmm. I was doing banquets. And so this one woman had, she had saw me at a number of different, maybe once or twice. And she was like, man, I really love what you do. 
And at the time I didn't speak, but she asked, do you speak? And I saw an opportunity. I was like, yes, uh, yeah. I speak. What, what do you need? And basically she was a social worker. She was putting on a conference and she didn't want to send the folks home after talking about neglect and abuse right. and budget cuts. So she said, you know, I enjoy what you do, but I need some, I need some content. I need, yeah. you know, I need something that, that will also, you know, it's substance. And so I, I said, okay, cool. And I had some time. So I uh, went and started doing Toastmasters and I, I did the competent communicated uh, course. So I did my 10 speeches. And what I did though, I dove into speaking separate from the comedy. Like mm -hmm. I didn't want to be a funny speaker. I wanted to, I wanted to be profound. You know, I wanted mm -hmm. to have, I wanted to have some weight and some health. <laughs> and uh, my wife was like, boy, if you don't start telling jokes in these dry <laughs> speeches that you tell <laughs> She wasn't, she was seeing past it. Yeah, because I was like running it by her. She was like, this is, this is dry. <laughs> Where's Mike? Like, what are you doing? Yeah. I'm, like, I'm, a, I'm a speaker. These, these, they, they want content and and they want information and statistics and data. And it was like, if you don't put some jokes. In so this. how do you like? How do you think about that today, though? Because that is such a great point of uh, like a lot of. I was guilty of that early on in my own career. Of I love humor. I love comedy. I love telling a story. I love knowing like. I know I've got the audience and humor is a great way to engage an audience that doesn't want to be there. And so I know that that worked, but I know it was easy. Like there were times where I would air on the side of comedy and the event planner would be like, it was really funny. And I know like the audience loved it, but like, you didn't really, you didn't have a lot to say, you know? And there are times where like, that's okay. Like you're brought in to just lighten the mood, lighten the atmosphere, everybody relax, have a good time, laugh. And like, that's it. But how do you kind of think about that today where when you're brought in to speak in a, in a corporate environment or in some type of, you know, professional speaking environment where like, yeah, we want you to be funny. Like don't dial that, don't turn it off, but we want you to bring something to the table here beyond just making us laugh. So how do you think about like finding that right balance? So what I, what, what happened between the woman asking me about the presentation and I, and I did some version of what that was a few times, but then I sat down and I said, I need to create something, you know, when folks come and say, Hey, we want this particular thing. I want to already have something packaged. Yeah. So I created what I, what I call leadership and laughter. And it was in my brain at the time, it was the three leadership lessons I've learned from doing stand-up comedy. Yeah. So I took a lot because that's basically what happened with my career because I, you know, I, I was, you know, I was being facetious about for two years, I pretty much, bomb but that was that was a real thing that happened i was yeah. so i you know and i remember like i had content i had good material i had no stage presence and i had no delivery like my mm -hmm. delivery was very robotic i was very orchestrated like i knew that i was going to do this joke and then do this, this joke and then this one so it was like somebody pushed play on me yeah. when I would walk out on stage. And, but then I would have these moments of like magic. Mm -hmm. And I was like, man, I need more of that. And so I legitimately sat down and looked at my stand-up career because I was doing stand-up the way that a lot of people think about comedy. I was just getting up and doing it. I didn't 
take the science of it. I didn't yeah. have the understanding that there are premises and punchlines and callbacks and tags and that if you're going to introduce a premise, you need to have a punchline not too shortly thereafter. And you shouldn't, there's ways to say the same thing with less words. And I would start off, this was my major, major death blow to myself. I would start off with no, with non-tested material. I would drive mm -hmm. to a show on the way, you know, cause typically it was an hour and a half, two hour. I would have like three jokes. I was like, oh man, I'm gonna do these tonight. <laughs> right out the gate. <laughs> horrible, horrible. Oh, for three, like, <laughs> like in the car, like <laughs> driving to the event. Figuring it out, just this working it out. This one I'm gonna roll out with. This, <laughs> these are the guys I'm starting. I'm starting the my starting lineup from the corner store. Hey, hey, hey y'all play? Y'all look athletic. <laughs> come on, uh, come on over here with me. So I get in there and I do five minutes of very unpolished, weird, unrelated material, and then yeah. I get into the good stuff, and people were like, "Nah, I don't believe this yeah. is you." So. What similar to your question, what you were saying, I, I learned that comedy is very important to break the ice, mm -hmm. to allow people to relax. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't, I don't have to do a whole 10 minute set because that's, and, and I, I found in some instances, that's just too much mm -hmm. comedy. And it's hard to pivot out of like, you know, really. Uh, hard laughing and like to take notes and pay attention. So I've, I've taken the, the approach kind of like with medicine, you know, when you're a kid, just a little airplane that you're doing. Mm -hmm. And I'll, I'll do just enough of that to get you to open up and receive the information that I, I want to share. Right. So when what? you're doing that airplane, you're not flying from LA to uh, Florida, you know, it's a quick trip. It's, it's it's from Atlanta to Columbia, South Carolina. It's a very and then you, then you land. Yeah, <laughs> I think uh, like any speaker uh, can benefit from humor, and it like we were talking about. It's easy to overdo it, but any speaker, just a you know, even like a really serious speaker, throws in a one liner that people didn't see coming, and it's like right. oh, it's just like it's a uh, re-energizes, rehooks the audience, and keeps them in, engaged and locked in. Mm -hmm. So. Let's talk for a second for, for speakers who are listening going like, okay, I would love to use more humor. I don't, I don't necessarily feel like I'm funny or I don't know what makes something funny or I did something on stage one time and I got a good laugh, but I don't even know why it was funny. And they just have trouble like deconstructing and putting humor into their talk. So right. one thing I'd be curious about is, is kind of the, I guess the nature and nurture question. Like, do you feel people are just like, people are just funny or they're not, or is this a skill people can learn to use and incorporate more humor into their presentations? Yeah, I think it's both. I think there are people that, you know, you see those folks that have charisma and they just are, funny naturally yeah. but there are skills and techniques that you can incorporate into your presentation that will allow uh, folks to enjoy it I, I learned this there was a saying by kelly swanson are you familiar with kelly Man, it she sounds vaguely familiar she she's a speaker but she says she has this quote she says you don't need to be funny but your audience needs to laugh and so 
there is an idea that I have around don't try to get the laugh, try to get a smile. Like if you're one of these people that are so intimidated by using humor, just get your audience to smile and, yeah. and nod and to, to say, yeah, yeah, that's a good idea. So, because I think when people think about using comedy, they go to Kevin Hart, they go all yeah. the way to the, the highest grossing comedian in the in the world at this moment. Yeah. So when you say, hey man, you gotta do some comedy, I gotta be Kevin Hart? I can't, there's no way I could be Kevin Hart. Right. This is incredible. But we've all been to those Toastmasters <laughs> meetings where the old guy has been up for, for 60 years will have a, a thing he does. And it's kind of a dad joke, but it's, you know, it, it gets your attention. So right. be somewhere between that guy and Kevin Hart. Like. So how do you, how do you approach that? If you're going like, okay, if, all right, you, you have uh, taken the monkey off my back that I don't have to be Kevin Hart. And I need to, uh, I, I would love to just, I would love to just get people to smile more or to nod right. more or just to engage more. Uh, so what, like, where would we even begin to know, like, Cause the other thing is like, what, you know, how do I know if something's funny or not? Cause the, the part of the challenge as, as you well know, is, is when you're creating a presentation, you're creating a talk, you're creating a story, you're making an educated guess until you get in front of the audience. I think this is funny. I think this will work. I think this will resonate. I think this will click. I think this will get a good reaction, but I don't know. And every audience is different. Like you may do one set one night in one club and it kills. And the very next night, it's just like the laughs weren't the same as the night right. before. Right? right. It's the same story, the same setups, the same punchline, but it's just slightly different from the, from the audience. So how do you even like, as you're creating something, how do you determine if there's, if there's something there or not? I, I think one of the easiest ways to do that is to address the moment in which you are in. So one of those examples, if, if we're doing a keynote at this hotel and the rooms are I, like a mile away from the presentation hall. Yeah. Like, hey guys, I don't know about you, but I got all my steps in this morning. <laughs> Boom. Everyone has walked that, or hey guys, I had to leave a, a trail of breadcrumbs from my room uh, to make it back. So hopefully, right. you, you're so addressing, or the parking, you know, you don't want to disparage the event planner or you don't want to do anything that, uh, it attacks or, you know, belittles the, the folks that are organizing it, you know, but if you're in a particular city that is known for trains, like I just, I was in Claremore, Oklahoma, and apparently they just have a train that's on loop and just stops traffic. Like <laughs> it, it doesn't matter what time <laughs> the train is stopping someone. So I, I led with that when I was like, Hey man, uh, so who's in charge of this train that just holds up traffic? <laughs> Oh, I was in uh, Indianapolis and they have a bunch of roundabouts. I'm like, is this the capital of the roundabout? And, you know, everybody and even if people aren't from there, yeah. they saw those roundabouts. Like, yeah. so, you know, really addressing the elephant in the room or the most obvious thing you can tell looking out at the audience, if it's particularly early, there's something to say about that. Yeah. Uh, if we just finished a great lunch and people want to kind of leave and go and hang out in the city, you know, we're in this great city and it's like, hey, don't worry, guys, I'm only going to be up here for the next four hours. And so relax. And it's like, so really tapping into how people are 
feeling in that moment. Yeah. In, in a lighthearted way, you know, taking that's an easy approach. And then there are bits or jokes that you can just do in life. Like, so the biggest thing about comedy or joke is the element of surprise. People mm-hmm. were not expecting you to say that. So I do this all the time, Grant. When I go to and re- when I go to a hotel and check in, the check-in attendant, they're serious. So they're like, thank you for uh residing or you know staying with us have you ever stayed here before and our continental breakfast is at this time and parking right and so they'll say how many keys do you would you like i say an outlandish number i say like 78 and that gets them (laughs) to break the script it causes them to like what it's like yeah yeah uh you know i'm I'm gonna hand them out downtown and have a couple of people you know but that gets the laugh. Or if I'm I'm out with my wife and someone says, "Hey, where are the kids?" Oh, uh, uh, we left them in the car. You, I, I I do that now, automatically. I just say it. Right. Automatically say it. So I think that if there are things that work in your day to day life that you typically people have these bits. You know, people have yeah. things that they say and they know it'll get a laugh. I think there's a way to segue that onto stage in your presentation. Hey friends, do you know the five steps to book more gigs and get paid as a speaker? Well, if not, listen up because these same five steps to help me to grow a seven-figure speaking career are all laid out in great detail in my latest book, The Successful Speaker. Five steps for booking gigs, getting paid, and building your platform. Whether you want to speak as a side hustle or your dream is to become a full-time professional speaker, I know what it takes. I share all of that with you in this definitive step-by-step roadmap. Let me be your guide. Learn from my mistakes. Get paid what you know you're worth to share your unique message on stage. If you want to read the first chapter for free or just check out the book, go to thespeakerlab.com slash book. Again, that is thespeakerlab.com slash book. Check out your copy of The Successful Speaker. Yeah, you you touched on something that I I totally agree with that. Uh, Some of the best moments for humor and for comedy are moments that uh, are kind of this raw, real thing. That is something that happened in the room. It's almost like one of those you had to be there type of moments, you know? And whether someone has like a, a loud, crazy cough or a laugh or a cell phone goes off or something crazy, something just happens in the room that like outside of that context makes no sense. It's not funny at all. But in that moment, it's hilarious. But when those moments happen, it becomes kind of improv. Like I'm going to put something out there and either it's hilarious or it's awkward or it falls flat. Like, what do you do in those situations where you tell a joke, you deliver punch and maybe it's, again, you're kind of, you're, you're working on some new material and you deliver some, and it just doesn't get the reaction that you had hoped for, or normally it kills. And there you just got crickets for whatever reason. How do you like, what do you do in those moments where a joke just doesn't work? You can do two things. You can ignore it and keep it moving. And the presentation will hopefully improve from that joke. Right. Or here's the thing that, that here's where the goal is. Acknowledge it. Say, hey, man, they loved that joke in Toledo, Ohio last night. Just say that what, what you thought. Like, oh, yeah. man, I thought y'all would really like that. So this is not the, uh, the Delta <laughs> Airline joke crowd. Okay, I got it. And so that will, that will alleviate the pressure. Everybody's like, oh, okay, he's self-aware. Yeah. That didn't work. And then you acknowledge it because oftentimes when you acknowledge it, that's where the laughter 
yeah. happens, even if they didn't laugh at the initial joke. It causes people just to, uh, to, to relax there. So when that happens, are you kind of making some, like, I know I do this for myself. I'm, I'm making like mental shifts in my mind knowing like, okay, I just told that joke. If they didn't laugh there, or if they did, they laughed way harder than I anticipated. Then they're going to love this thing coming up in 12 minutes. And I'm going to really go deep on that. Or they didn't respond at all. So I'm already cutting this thing. If they didn't laugh at this, there's no chance they're going to laugh at that down the road. Are you making those mental adjustments on the fly? Or do you keep pretty tight on no, no, this bit, yeah. this bit, this bit? No, that's absolutely right. And yeah. you made a great point in speaking. You really, if you're speaking for 45 minutes, you really need about three or four jokes in throughout your presentation. Mm -hmm. So you have one at the beginning. I, I say have one every 10 minutes, like a commercial. Mm -hmm. And so you just embed a, a little opportunity for laughter. Now, again, it might, it doesn't have to be the funniest thing ever, but it's a story. It's a quote. It's something that you, it may be a graphic that you put up in your presentation. Yeah. But it's something there that you deliberately insert into your presentation for the intent of, you know, getting laughter. Yeah. There are a, a bunch of different types of humor, whether it's storytelling or whether it's, you know, current events or everyday life or politics or whatever it is. Right. right, right. And so how have you kind of figured out like what works for you? Uh, because there are some, some, types of comedy that may work well for one comedian and they may bomb for a different comedian. So how do you kind of like navigate it over the years and figure out like, Hey, I'm, I'm really good in this type of comedy. Right. You know, I say, when I talk about my comedy, I talk about uh, refreshingly funny. Mm -hmm. So I write jokes when I sit down to prepare material in about 80, about, about 90% of the times I write jokes that I want 100% of the room to laugh. Mm -hmm. So I'm writing material. So regardless of, and you know, and I try to stay away from controversial. Like I, I'm, I'm very intentional about, I'm a comedian. I yeah. don't have an agenda. Yeah. I don't want to sway your opinion. I don't want to present something that causes you to later want to get into a long drawn, like, my jokes come from my observation of the world. Now, yeah. sometimes that's going to produce a conflict and, and I'm all right with that. I'm not, I'm not intentionally, you know, one of my favorite jokes, you know, so typically if you don't, oh, if you don't know me, I, I wear a bow tie when I'm on stage, I'll have on a cardigan, I have on blaze. I'm really sharp dressing. And I tell this joke, I say, Hey man, a lot of people ask me why I'm so dressed up. And I'm like, man, I'm not dressed up. This is just police repellent. Now, that's a great joke. Like, I don't care if, if you are Blue Lives Matter, if you are anti-police, wherever, wherever you sit on the spectrum as it relates to law enforcement, right? that's a funny joke. And I'm not trying to make a statement. That's just how my mind worked yeah. to create this. Now, is there a conversation to be had around that joke? Of course, sure. sure. There's a, we could have a discussion, but as I wrote that joke, you know, even when I do it, I, I, I even, I'm even intentional. Cause there's a part where I say, uh, the police officer pulled me over and it was like, Hey, uh, is that a cardigan you got on? You know, it's just like, <laughs> so I'm intentional to use the word police officer to show 
I'm not being flippant or disrespectful to law enforcement. I could say cop. Yeah. I say some other term, but I said, no, the, the police officer to say there's a respect, there's an yeah. honor of authority. So I'm not, I'm not coming for the police, but it's a joke that involves law enforcement. And it's a funny joke. And it's a joke that makes some people feel like, Ooh, that's wow. That's a little close to comfort. But I wrote that joke for laughs. I didn't write that joke. Uh, to protest or to right. you know, to to speak out against the where we are currently, I wrote a joke to laugh, and so I think when I approach things, I, I write. I want everyone in the room to laugh. Now, everyone, you know, people have different sensibilities, and I understand that. I think one of the biggest things I do, especially as it relates to corporate, because you have to be really mindful. A corporate show is different from the comedy show different from a church show where it's all all married couples is different from a, a show that has children in the audience so yeah i'm very mindful of who's in the audience yeah. I, that, I, I i'm very clear and you know there's a there's an idea that comedians push the conversation forward and we we um go beyond lines and we do in comedy clubs or in settings where that is appropriate at your new employee orientation is not the time for me to <laughs> push the envelope. I want, right. want 20 minutes of jokes and I'm getting out of the way. So I don't, right. I don't want anybody email. I want to hear from your <laughs> HR department. I don't want emails. I don't want the issues. Right. Right. So I'm delivering as if you went to a, a nice steakhouse. Yeah. yeah. I, I don't want to show up there and say, Hey, tonight guys, we're going to switch it up. <laughs> We're going to do some seafood. It's like, no, man. We came here for a porterhouse. <laughs> Give us the porterhouse. Yeah, I'm here for the solar one. Like, so I'm very mindful of that. I, I know, and I think, I know some people really can't wrap their brain around, you know, me doing corporate events because they think about the nightclub comedy experience. It's like, how do you bring that to a workplace? And I'm like, that's not what I do. Even if you saw me in a comedy club, there's still elements of my show where you're like, oh man, he could do that anywhere. I mean, I do a lot of school openings for teachers and administrators. Yeah. And it's just absolutely hilarious content. And I'm also sharing from my experience as an educator and even from my experience as a student, because I was the type of student that fell through the crack. I was the type of student that was an underachiever. I, I had all this potential, but my teachers didn't realize that my comedy, I, I say this all the time, my comedy became an asset when I became 18 and my whole life it was a liability. So my whole hmm. life I was getting in trouble for the same thoughts and the same ideas now that I pay my bills and I'm gaining notoriety with it. It's the same idea. Right. Well, can you talk to us about what's your, what's your process for, for creating a, a joke or a story or a bit? Because I think that the misconception for, for speakers is that uh, a, a, someone who's funny just gets up on stage and, and wings it. And like, it just all magically works out. You're like you see right. a Netflix special and you're like, yeah, they just scribbled some stuff on a napkin and then they just got up and we're just, they're just funny. And like, 
nah, like it just doesn't work like that, you know? And so what is it, what's the process look like for you of going like, okay, something happened. And I think there, there's something there. I don't know what it is. Uh, like, are you writing it out? Are you riffing about it on stage or like what, what, where do you go from there? So it's a combination of those things. So there's certain people, and I think we all have them in our life. Like if, if you have a good sense of humor and you, cause there's some people out here that I don't like laughing. It's hard to make me, I, like, I don't know what's wrong with these people. It's hard to make me laugh. I'm like, why? Laughter is free. There's no taxation on it. It gives endorphins. So, but if you are have if you have a healthy sense of humor, there's certain friends, colleagues that you spend time around, and when you when you talk to them, I feel like they pull those comedic moments out of you. You know, yeah. so you'll have a talk with your buddy, and you'll say a turn of a phrase, and and it would laugh, and you're like, oh. Let me make a note of that. So that that happens quite a bit. Like I'm just talking to someone. Do you actually make a note of it? Like in your phone yeah. or a piece of paper? Or yeah, I have, I'm on my phone. And I actually carry around a, a little notepad that I write down ideas. Because And most of my jokes come out of, like I'm looking on my board in front of me. There's Jimmy Dean is this bit that I'm working on right mm-hmm. now. Uh, Hush Little Baby, The Lullaby, and Three Blind Mice. So that's that's what I come up with. So I was doing a, you know, people could see my America Got Talent uh, bit about nursery rhymes. Yep. Saw that. And so it's only two minutes. And I'm thinking, okay, so what what other nursery rhymes can lead to some humor? So I'm like, three blind mice. Yeah. Like, okay. How do we know they're blind? Who's around here evaluating mice's eyes? <laughs> Who's doing... Who- <laughs> So that that so now that gives me so there's some pre, you know like there's a premise there and then you're just kind of like marinating on it of just like there's something here there's some type of angle I just got to kind of figure out what it is something that catches catches me off guard you know it, it may be Arby's we have the meats and I'm like well no you don't you know <laughs> Arby doesn't have all of the meats <laughs> like there's obvious meats that's missing <laughs> there's not salmon they don't have salmon. At Arby's, that's the meats. How you making these bold statements, Arby's? And you don't even have all the meats. <laughs> so just those kind of things, like it just it grabs my attention, and I just go up to open mics. And I mean, that's where comedians really work out. You know, you go to open mics and you try your material out. So my process basically, I'm talking to someone, I say something, they laugh, I make a note of it, or I see something, you know, I'm looking at things and I'm like, oh, that's a little odd. And so mm-hmm. I just keep turning it over in my mind. I just keep turning it over and then I'll take it up on stage and try it out. And sometimes it doesn't work and then you'll move it around. So, yeah, it's more of, a, you know, I guess and I, I'm always using sports analogy. So it's like dribbling with your left hand. The more you do it, the better you're going to get at it. And I think mm-hmm. a lot of people, as it relates to the skill of of humor, they don't do it enough. And so it's like going to the driving range and you got 50 balls and you'll hit one straight, but the other ones, they all over the place. And instead of being motivated by that one, you're like, oh man, I hit 50 all into the water and into the woods. I'm not gonna do this anymore. But like, no, you hit that one, you hit that one, you can hit that again. Like you have it, whatever it is that's in you, you can do it again. And that's how I felt about comedy. I, I hit that one and I kept jonesing for that. Even though I had 49, 
going all over the place. I, yeah. I, 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 could, I remember that one that I hit straight. Yeah. Well, let, let, let me wrap up with this. If, if a speaker's listening right now going like, okay, what's like one thing I can do in my next presentation just to add a little bit of humor? If there's one, one takeaway, one action item, something that like, all right, here's, a, here's an easy way to get a laugh or something that you can incorporate right away. I know you mentioned like anything that is specific to that location or to that environment or to that event. Uh, anything else that we can do that we can incorporate into our next presentation to add some humor? Yeah, I would say use the power of threes. Comedy typically uh, is a rhythm. Mm -hmm. So one of the things that you can do is you tell a you tell a joke and you use the power of three. So two of the options are legit options. Like, hey, I'm gonna go home. You know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna put put up my coat, take a shower, and then I'm going to blow up my neighbor's backyard. <laughs> like, no, you know, you're not gonna do that. <laughs> so, right. <laughs> that third thing needs to be something that's like, what? Is <laughs> it's, it's jarring. And it, again, that, that blew up the neighbors. I wish I had a better joke to share that, that, that illustrated that point. But the third thing, like, because you're, you're walking them down the hallway and then all of a sudden they're going to get sideswiped with the humor. So you're going to give them, you know, my wife and I, we just celebrated 21 years. Uh, we have a great marriage. Uh, but my wife wants to put me out. <laughs> it's like, what? <laughs> like, but I don't think she likes me. <laughs> you know, <it's> like, <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, that there's something at that, that, that last one. And, and I'll give you another one also. Uh, also, if you're telling a, a joke or a story, make the punchline the last thing you say. Yeah. You know, yeah. Oftentimes people will say the punchline and then have other words. So let the punchline be the last where, you know, it's like, oh, I'm not dressed up. This is just police repellent. And that's the punchline. That's yeah. versus I'm not dressed up. I'm wearing police repellent today. Like, right. ah. Right. So make your punchline the last word that you say. Yeah, that's so good. It's such a simple thing, but it, again, it requires effort. You know, if you, when you are, I think about that, like when I'm, if I'm texting someone and there's just the words there, like what's the part that makes this funny? And that has to be the last part and right. versus like, you don't want to lead with that because then it loses the, loses the power of it, loses the, the, the humor of it. So right. again, but you have to be intentional because it's not just getting up on stage and doing it. Like you said, it's a, it's a muscle you've built over time, but if you're trying to build that muscle, you got to be really specific about, okay, what makes this funny and how do I make sure that I'm, I'm closing with that or I'm ending with that or that, that, um, that that's the final thing that, that people are going to hear. So, uh, Mike, this is super helpful. Uh, we appreciate you taking the time. If people want to find out more about you, check out your videos, follow you on tour. Where can we go? You can go to my website, comedianmikegoodwin.com. And I actually, over the quarantine, created a, a course on the secret sauce, adding humor to your speeches, trainings, and presentations. So uh, that'll that, that's available on my website. Awesome. Very good. Mike, we appreciate the time. Hey, thanks for having me. All right, there you go. Hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Speaker Lab Podcast. And before you take off, don't forget, if you haven't already, make sure you subscribe to the podcast. Leave us a rating and review within iTunes. We read every single one of those. It helps, it helps other people to find the show. Listen, we, we don't charge anything for you to listen to these. We don't have any ads or anything. We do this because we want to serve and support speakers like you. So one small favor we ask of you is that you would leave us some type of rating and review. Again, we really, really do appreciate that. 
If you're looking for more help, support as a speaker as you build and grow your business at whatever stage you're at, don't forget to check out thespeakerlab.com. Thespeakerlab.com. We got a ton of free resources and tools over there. So again, check it out over at thespeakerlab.com. All right, my friends, that wraps up today's episode. We appreciate you hanging out with us. We'll catch you next time. You're awesome.